Good call, Logan. Logan's got my back with the slides. He's always reminding me about things. Another glorious physician, Alan and Logan, back in the sound booth. What's up? Good job, guys. Thank you. It's funny. I think I've mentioned this before, but you only get attention in the sound booth if you do something wrong. So a little bit of positive attention thrown your way. Thank you, guys. Um, we've got a question this morning. We've been answering questions. I've been answering questions that you asked. And so um, we had a sort of late arrival to the, the lineup, uh, which was a question about heaven. So um, the question we're going to be answering is, what will heaven be like? But before we start answering the question, I really want to frame it well. We need to keep in mind that when we talk about something like heaven, when we're talking about something like that, we're really talking about things that we've heard stories about and we have some descriptions about in the Bible. But it's got to be like describing a sunset to a blind person. You could tell them about the colors, but they, they don't understand colors. You could try to describe colors as like, well, they're like flavors for your eyes, but that's not going to make any sense, right? So you're going you're gonna to give it your best shot, but always understand that at the end of your description, you're going to have to say, and it's whatever you have in your mind right now, it's better than that. Whatever, however I described it to you, if you think that it's beautiful, it's beautiful in a way that you can't understand right now. It's just, it's more beautiful than how I can picture it to you. The way that I like to think about whenever we talk about the supernatural, and we're going to do a little thought experiment, and you're going to think that it's, it's, it's dumb, okay? So let, let's, just, let's just throw the judgment out for a minute, and I'm just going to, a thought experiment, okay? Let's say that we had uh, astronauts who got to a planet and met aliens. Think like Star Trek, right? Aliens that sort of look like us and, you know, act like us. And they're friendly. And you're one of these astronauts. So you get to go and you get to meet these aliens. And, and they, you say, you know, take me to your leader. And they say, okay, you know, come and you have a meal. So you provide them with some earth cuisine. And you're all sitting down at this table, and the first course is soup. So we've got some soup, and everyone's uh, served, and the bowls are all out. And what do you do? You lean over the soup, and you take a big whiff. And the aliens look at you, and they go, what are you doing? You know, what, what is that custom? And so they, they put their faces over it, too, and they go, and you go, no, 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 we're smelling it. And they go, what is, what is that? You go, well, we're, you know, uh, t uh, taking a whiff of the, the aroma. Like, doesn't it smell good? And they go, oh, yes, it does. It, 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 it feels good on our face. And you go, no, 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 it doesn't feel good on your face. It's, it, there, it smells good. It, you know, it smells good. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, but we, we smell with our mouth. We, you know, in it there's a, we, no, 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 that's taste. That's taste. Okay. So it turns out that these aliens, they don't have a sense of smell at all. And you can sit there and try to describe it to them, and they just won't understand. Now, there would be some of them that are like, they're like, oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. And you're like, no, you really don't. You really don't. And maybe there would be some people, you know, some of those aliens who would say, oh, we don't believe in smell. You know? 
it's not real. We don't believe in it. And you go, yeah, you know, it is. We're just trying to describe it to you. And they say, well, we don't understand it. You go, yeah, I know. I know. And I don't think there's a really good way for us to, like, let you into, like, what we understand. I just don't think that there's a way for you, for us to communicate smell to you. But in any case, with supernatural things, that's, it's like that for us. Because we would look at those aliens and say they've got four senses, and they think that they understand everything that's going on in the world because they've got four senses, right? And they can walk through the world, and they can get everything done in the world, but they don't know that there is this thing that happens in the world called odor and aroma and fragrance, and they have no access to it. They've got no access to it. There's a thing happening in the world that they just don't have access to. And it's mind-blowing, right? Now, for us, we've got five senses. What makes us think that we have access to everything that's going on in the world because we've got five senses? Now, the Bible tells us that there is a spiritual world. There is a supernatural world because it's outside of our senses that we have some access to because we are spiritual, right? We're spiritual creatures, but we don't have access to it in the same way. So like the way Paul says it in the Bible is there are some things that are spiritually discerned and the, and the, the, the regular man doesn't have access or can't discern those things because they're discerned spiritually. You have to be spiritually alive to really access what's going on there. And so things like angels and demons and spiritual realities and, and things like that, things like heaven are things that are discerned spiritually. So we can read descriptions about them in the Bible, but we have to always approach it with humility and understanding that at the end of the description, it's more beautiful than we understand, and it's also something that we just don't have access to completely right now. We just understand the way that God describes it to us. Does that help? Is it silly? It's okay. So let's just start the journey talking about heaven with a good dose of humility and an appreciation that, uh, that God has even told us anything about heaven. He didn't have to, right? So what we have, what we have is going to point us toward heaven— but don't think that we're going to get there uh, in our understanding of it here today. Uh, we're just going to point toward what it, it's going to be like. Um, so let's start. Okay, heaven. I think heaven can be defined as the place where God especially dwells from where his blessings emanate. So God is omnipresent. He's actually everywhere. He exists outside of space and time. He's not confined by space and time, so he exists everywhere in a way, um, but he chooses to place himself, to locate himself in our universe in particular places, like on the Ark of the Covenant, for example, or in the Holy of Holies, um, or when two or three are gathered in his name. Um, but heaven is the special place where God places his presence and where his blessings come from. So it is like the, the location of his blessings. And when you get to heaven, it, you, it is maximally blessingful. I'm making up words, but you understand what I'm saying. You get all of his blessings, and his blessings are coming from heaven. 
So from the Bible, we know a few things about heaven, and as we add them up, we're going to get a decent picture of what heaven is like. The first thing is that heaven is a place. It's a place. It's not a state of mind. It's not somewhere that you will reach by, um, you know, crossing your legs under a tree and praying really hard or something like that. Um, it, is not a, it is not a state of mind. It's an actual place. Now, when I was in college, I went to my, one of my pastors at my church. There was one pastor in particular who, if you had a more, like, uh, academic or intellectual question, you would go to him and ask him your question. Um, and I went to him, and I, and I asked, is heaven, like, I'm going to say like a few times because I'm being myself about 15 years ago, so just forgive me. Is heaven like a place, or is it like not a place? Like, could I go and find it somewhere, like, in the universe? I told you I was going to say like a lot, Okay. Is it, it, like, could we get on a rocket ship and maybe one day just, like, stumble upon it? Like, oh, here's a nice planet. We get around to the backside and be like, oh, it's heaven. It's an actual place. Like, we found it. Like. And he said, well, no, sort of. So it's a place. It's a place, but we're not going to find it. Like, astronauts will never find it. And I went blowing my mind. Okay. But let's look at it, how it's a place. There are several uh, in the Bible really clear indications that heaven is an actual place. My favorite's in Acts 1, but it takes a little bit of explaining. So when Jesus was giving his final words to his followers, he's, uh, in a sense, he's on his escalator going up to heaven, right? And he's, and uh, the Bible says, like, as he's going, he's giving his final words, uh, in verse 9, Acts 1, verse 9 says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, the whole point of the ascension seems to be that Jesus went somewhere. Not that he was just gone, but that he went to somewhere. Because after that, the disciples, they're all looking up at heaven, and... And these angels show up, and they say, why are you staring at the sky? You know, the, 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 the Savior who left, you will see come again in the same way as he left. He's in heaven. So it seems the whole point of the ascension is that Jesus went from here to there, and he's coming back again. So it's like, you know, when I, you know, go to get groceries. Oh, Daddy's at the store, and he's coming back. That's the whole point of the ascension is that Jesus actually went somewhere. And then you've got uh, a couple chapters later, Stephen was being stoned to death, and he saw the heavens open, and he saw Jesus seated in heaven at the right hand of God. And there's an actual place where Jesus is right now, and we call it heaven. But it's not a state of mind, it's a place, it's a location, and there are things that happen in this location. There is a, a temple in this location, and there is worshiping in this location. So it's an actual place. It's a spiritual place. It's not on Mars, but it is an actual place. Again, we're pointing at things that we don't really have a good understanding of, like trying to describe to these aliens that, like, no, smell is like a flavor, but for your nose. And they're going, 
I don't get that at all. I know, I know, and I don't, there's not a better way. So we're just pointing toward it without really understanding. It is an actual place. It's just a spiritual place. Okay, the Bible portrays heaven, the location for heaven as being up or being above us. So you get uh, when angels come, they descend, and when Jesus goes uh, into heaven, he ascends, and the same is true of, like, Elijah, um, that things going to heaven go up, things coming from heaven come down from heaven. It's just a, a sort of the way the Bible pictures the location for heaven. And the Bible says that if you give your life to Jesus, when your body dies, your spirit will go to be up, will go up to be with Jesus because it's his, right? So if I give my life to Jesus when my body dies, my soul goes to be with Jesus because it's his, because I've given my life to him. My life goes to be with Jesus, and Jesus is presently in heaven. It's a, it's a real place that exists. Okay, so it's a place, not a state of mind. Let's move along. Number two, it's a place of righteousness and clarity. It's a place of righteousness and clarity. The clarity comes from the fact that in heaven, our faith will become sight. Things that we believe by faith now, when we get to heaven, we will see and experience uh, with more clarity. Our faith becomes sight. The Bible says that right now we see the world, we see reality as through a mirror darkly. So like a dirty mirror. We see it, but it's not clear. But in heaven, we will see face to face. So there will be clarity. The more important part of it, though, is righteousness, that it is a place of righteousness. Here's what 2 Timothy 4.8 says about heaven. Paul is writing, he said, Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So in heaven, we leave evil behind. We are crowned with righteousness. We will be gravitationally drawn toward righteousness instead of sin. So in this life, we are sort of gravitationally drawn towards sin. That's the way the, the Bible pictures temptation, is that we are constantly like the sun's gravity. We're constantly pulled toward it, and we have to pull ourselves away from it. We have to run away from it. But in heaven, we will just be drawn toward righteousness. We will all just long to be righteous. We are crowned with righteousness, and it'll be true of everyone, so there's no more sin. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. But there's more going on, okay? The real object of Christian hope has never been in a purely spiritual sort of wispy existence in heaven where our spirits are just floating around in peace and righteousness. Have you maybe seen pictures or something of, you know, um, angels or like when you die, you will become an angel and you will play a harp while you're sitting on a cloud? Okay, not... First of all, that's not heaven. You don't turn into an angel, okay? Um, but also, that sort of wispy, heavenly existence, that's not our ultimate hope. That's not our ultimate hope. 
The Bible is very clear about this. Our spiritual existence in heaven, apart from our bodies, is not the grand finale. So in your outline, I actually put this all of this stuff on the other page because we ha it's a total shift. Right now, when you, if you've given your life to Jesus, when your body dies, your spirit goes to be with Jesus in heaven. But that's not the grand finale heaven. The ultimate hope that we have comes after that. So let's, let's turn over there. Shift over onto the, that next page. Number three, in heaven, we who are faithful, we who are followers of Jesus, there will be a longing for something more. We will long for something more. The Bible calls that the resurrection. The Bible calls that the resurrection. Let's talk about the resurrection of the dead. Yeah? Jesus taught that one day there will be a resurrection of the dead. In John 5, Jesus said, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Everyone who has died will come back to life for God's judgment. There is a resurrection of the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, Remember 1 Corinthians? We talked about this last week, this church that had was divided on a bunch of issues. Paul took a really clear stand on the resurrection, and he basically said, of course there's going to be a resurrection because Jesus rose from the grave, and he's the first of us. We are going to follow in the same way. We are going to be raised to a new life. We were going to have a resurrected body just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus did. So Jesus rose from the grave, and we will too one day. That's the resurrection. Uh, Paul's describing what it's going to be like in, in Philippians 3. Let's read verses 20 and 21. Paul said, Our citizenship is in heaven. So we belong to heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So appreciate just for a moment that the Bible says that one day you will die. Your body will be dead. Your soul will still be alive. Your soul, if you've given your life to Jesus, will go to be with Jesus and, and will long one day to be reunited with a body. Which will be like the body that Jesus had. Imperishable, glorious. But let's go back to the point. I didn't actually uh, give you a, a passage for the point. The third point. That in heaven we will long for something more. That's the resurrection. Um, there's a sort of shifting metaphor for this that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 5, but let's read it together. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 3. He says, For we know that if the tent, okay, that's, that's, um, that's, that's this body, that's this body. If we know that, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, so if our body dies, 
we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's heaven. So if my body dies, I have a home in heaven. Amen? That's good news. For in this tent, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on that we may not be found naked. He's actually saying that in, in our heavenly home, we will long to put on a heavenly dwelling because our spiritual existence in heaven will be like nakedness, will be like spiritual nakedness, that we will long to be uh, clothed. It's a sh- he, he sh- he's shifting the metaphor, but just trust me. He's saying that in, the, in, in heaven, we will long to put on a body again and to be whole because God did not create us to be just a spirit. How did he create us when he created us in, in the very beginning? He gave us a body, a physical body, and then he breathed life into us, and he gave us a spirit. That's how God wants us to be. That's how we're intended to live. So when we die here and our, and our soul goes to be with Jesus in heaven, the ultimate, the grand finale heaven will involve our resurrection will come after the resurrection. So we will our he will give us a new body that is glorious and imperishable and our soul will come back and be in a body finally, which is what which is what we want so that we won't be naked. And that's the resurrection. There's another new reality that comes after the resurrection or with the resurrection. The Bible says and this is point number 4 that one day heaven will be made new. And we'll join with a new earth. Here's how the Bible describes that, and this is in Revelation 21. John has uh, is getting a, a, a visions uh, being revealed to him what these final things are like. And in verse one, he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Guys, this earth, the one that's all broken and and weird, right? Um, This earth will pass away. And the heaven that exists right now will also pass away. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold the dwelling place of God. God dwells in heaven. The dwelling place of God is with man, because the holy city now has come down, is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Usually when Christians talk about heaven, we're talking about this. Amen? We're talking about this. This is the heaven with the pearly gates. This is the heaven with the pearly gates. This is the heaven with the streets of gold. And I don't want to ruin your day, But this is not the heaven that exists right now. This is the new heavens and the new earth. This is our ultimate hope. 
It hasn't happened yet. It happens after Jesus returns and finally defeats Satan. But this is our hope. Let's observe a few things about, I'm going to call this grand finale heaven. Is that okay? Grand finale heaven. Let's, let's just talk about it for a second. Number one, it's eternal. It's eternal and it's unbroken. It's eternal. There's no more death. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It is both a physical reality and a spiritual reality. So the earth is a physical reality. Heaven is a spiritual reality. Now the Bible, and we've talked about this a little bit, but in, in, in Hebrews it says that, that the, um, the temple that, they, uh, that God instructed um, his people to make is a copy of something that exists in heaven. Right, so there is there is some sort of a connection between heaven and earth, and you know there's a there's a scene in Second Kings where uh, Elisha's servant is freaking out about the war that they're about to go into, and and Elisha prays that his servant would see, and his his eyes are open. The, the Lord opens his eyes, and he sees that the hills are filled with uh, angelic armies. So so there's a whole sense of things that are going on around us here. But those things come from heaven. Well, one day God is going to bring a new heaven and a holy city, Jerusalem, and is going to merge them with a new earth so that this new, this grand finale heaven is both a physical and a spiritual reality. It's not a wispy existence. It's not just a spiritual existence. It's like this. It's physical. And it's real life. It's basketball. It's playing basketball, but without worrying about your knees. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's being able to dunk. Being able to dunk. It's being able to, to, to go and just have joy and purity of joy and life. Abundant life. Amen? That's the grand finale heaven. It's physical and it's spiritual. There's no sorrow. There's no pain. There's no evil. There's no mourning. The former things have passed away. The former things have passed away. Now, one of the one of those former things is marriage. The former things that exist, the former things, the way that the Bible describes it, are the things that we have in this life that God has that that God has either given to us for his sake so that we can understand him or that just exists because of, of how far we are from God. So sin and evil are obvious former things. they things that just exist because of the distance that we have with God. But one of the other things that, that, is a, that exists because of our distance is marriage. In Matthew 22, Jesus was asked a question by a Sadducee. Now the Sadducees in the New Testament, they don't believe in the resurrection. Jesus believes in the resurrection. The Sadducees don't. So the Sadducees are teasing him. And they come up to him and they say, Hey, so, you know, answer this question, Jesus. If a man has, you know, been married several times, and in the resurrection, which one's he married to? Mic drop. Okay, maybe you don't know no, mic drop. Okay. So they think they stumped him. They think they stumped him. And he says, well, they're, you know, and this is actually what he said. 
um, essentially, there's no marriage in the resurrection. And that way, we're like angels. That's where the whole, like, we die and become angels things comes from. But it really just means that marriage is something that God gives us in this life. And the Bible says that it's a picture of the relationship that Jesus has with the church. So God gives us marriage as an institution to help us understand how much he loves, how much he loves us. It's a picture. But in heaven, because we don't need a picture anymore, the picture will be gone. And we will be the bride of Christ. Now, that might seem very sad to you if, you if you love your spouse. If you don't, we need to meet. You need to come in. We need to have a conversation. Um, but honestly, though, that might seem very sad to you. In this life, I can understand it seeming sad. Trust me when I say that in heaven, it won't be. In heaven, it will make perfect sense. And the relationship that you have with your spouse will be even stronger. It will be different, but it will be even stronger because there aren't the, the tensions that we deal with in this life. So it might seem like it's a, it's a sad reality, but in heaven it will make perfect sense and you'll love it. Um, the final thing you need to know about heaven is number five. It's only for believers. In John 3, this is verse 36, Jesus said, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. I've heard people say that all roads lead to God. Have you heard that? All roads lead to God. Would you be surprised if I told you that they're right? In a way. The Bible says that God will judge everyone. It says that everyone will be raised from the dead. And then they will stand before the judgment seat of God. So, yeah, in a way, all roads lead to God, but the Bible is very clear that there's only one road that leads to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He said, no one comes to the Father. Or you could say, no one gets right with God except through me. When we share the gospel, we're telling people, this life is messed up. Amen? We live in a broken world. We are broken people. But God has made a way, only one way, for people to be saved from the judgment that's coming. A judgment that would find you and me and all of us guilty. God has made a way, and that's Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you'll follow him in this life. You'll follow him, him in his life and how he lived. You will follow him in his death. And you'll follow him all the way into heaven where we'll love and serve and worship God forever. One of the reasons why I love worship in the church is because it's a picture of what we're going to be doing forever in heaven. And we're actually uh, ending this series today. And we're going to start a series next week called Made to Worship. 
We're going to talk a lot about what the Bible says about worship. We're going to have a really biblical understanding of what worship is and the different ways that we can worship. But the reality is that we're built to worship God and we'll spend eternity either worshiping him or in his wrath. As we wrap up today, let me challenge you. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, if you believe that you're a Christian, the Bible says your true citizenship is in heaven. You belong to heaven. So you've got a citizenship, an earthly citizenship that is, um, uh, for most of us, American. And when you go somewhere else, you are an American citizen visiting somewhere else. Um, I think about, have you ever seen those movies where someone is a, uh, got diplomatic immunity and they're like getting in all kinds of trouble and nobody can do anything because they're like, oh, he has diplomatic immunity. You know what I'm talking about? Like Lethal Weapon or like one of those FBI, yeah, one of those FBI you know, movies or something like that. And they're like, oh, we finally caught him. And he's like, oh, but he's a diplomat. He's got diplomatic immunity. Guys, that's how we are because our citizenship is in heaven. We have in a way diplomatic immunity from like what Paul says, from fear that I can't be, why would I be afraid? Because fear is all about punishment. We're always fearful because of, of punishment. But if I'm following Jesus and I, and I belong to heaven already, I don't have to be afraid. What's going to punish me? I've already been forgiven. So we don't walk through life fearful. We don't walk through life afraid of what this world thinks about you. We don't walk through this life afraid of sharing our testimony, afraid of talking about about who Jesus is because we don't even belong here. What's the worst they can do? Kick you out and then you go to heaven. Shoot. So part of me wants to say, tear it up. Go wild. Go wild for Jesus. Be bold. Be fearless. What's holding you back? What's holding you back from being the, the, the boldest advocate for the gospel, for love and for grace that you could possibly be? Because someone's not going to like you? What's the worst they can do? Send you to heaven. That is the worst that they can do. So your citizenship is in heaven. Let me ask you a question. Do you act like it? Do you act like it? I mean, is it obvious in your life? Uh, we have a, a guest this morning who's from out of town. She's from another country, and you can tell by her accent, right? You can tell by her accent. Can people tell by your life that you don't belong here, that you're not a citizen, that you belong to heaven, that you belong to Jesus? Can they tell? Not by the way... Not, not by your accent, but yes, by the way that you talk. Do you sound like you belong to heaven? Are you a citizen of heaven? Do you act like it? John, 1 John 4 says that if we're like Jesus, we have nothing to fear. And I just want to know, does that describe you? Or are you afraid? Everyone, uh, bow your heads. We're going to 
we're going to wrap up and with some prayer. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. Try your best not to look around. This is just you and your private moment with Jesus. We know that Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but only those who do the will of my Father. If you're concerned that that describes you this morning, that when Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord will, will, will inherit the kingdom, if you're worried that describes you, if you're not sure that you're destined for heaven, if you don't know that you're a citizen of heaven, but you want to be, the answer is very simple. You just ask Jesus, and you tell Jesus that you're going to live for him. You'd say something like, Jesus, I'm sorry for the ways that I've sinned against you. I don't want to live like that anymore. Lord, I believe in you. I believe you died for me. And today I promise to follow you for the rest of my life. Forgive me. I want to be yours. The Bible says that if you believe that Jesus is the son of God and he died for your sins, if you believe it in your heart and you let it come out of your mouth, if you speak it, that you'll be saved. If you're not sure if you belong to Jesus, my encouragement to you would be, it's not about what you do, it's what's been already done for you. Trust Jesus with your life and he'll change your heart. As we move into a time of reflection, you might respond to this sermon by coming up front for prayer. Robert and I will be up here. You might respond by giving financially out of how God has blessed you. You might respond by thinking about a loved one who is in heaven right now and appreciating how wonderful it is for them. You might want to recommit your life to Jesus. Or maybe just you want to just dream about what that grand finale heaven is really going to be like and the hope that we have. 